On this episode, I had a chance to sit down, hear from, learn from, talk to a woman who in 2012 was recognized by CNN as one of the 10 fittest women in the world. Pretty insane. Uh, Leanda Cave. And so Leanda Cave is a retired pro triathlete. In 2002, she won the World Triathlon Championship. And then in 2012, she won the World Championships for the Ironman 70.3, which was in Vegas that year. And then only a couple months later, she won the World Championships for the full Ironman, Ironman 140.6 in Kona, Hawaii, uh, which made her the first woman in the history of triathlon to win both the half and the full world champs in the same year. Pretty unbelievable. So she's she's legit, to, to say the least. Uh, we actually didn't get too much into all the Iron Man stuff on this episode because I was more curious about something she just did a couple weeks ago. First off, it's fresh, super recent. But second off, it is uh, way further this event that she did a couple weeks ago, way further than anything she's ever done before. And she talks about it in the episode that she was not mentally prepared for this at all. And this is what I wanted to get into. The show is called How Far One Can Go. Uh, Iron Man 140.6 is like nothing for Leanda. So it's not nearly as far as she can actually go. But she just did the an Ultraman, which is something like I've, I feel like I've only heard like lore of the Ultraman. Something that a buddy of mine told me about. Uh, like a couple years ago, maybe after I did my first Ironman saying he thought that I'd be into the Ultraman. And I remember looking at the website and I'm not trying to throw shade on Ultraman. It's a legit race, but the website looked kind of homemade. And I think that intrigued me even more. I was like, oh, this is some underground insane race. That's like next level above the Ironman. And so for me, the Ultraman is something that I've held like in high regard and I've never met anybody that's done it. And so this was an awesome opportunity for me to learn a little bit more about this insane three-day race from somebody who just did it, not only just did it, came in second outright, not just second female, just second outright in the entire race. And she got invited to participate in the Ultraman World Championships, uh, which is out in Hawaii in November of this year. So anyways, if you don't know what an Ultraman is, it's a, it's it's more than a double Ironman. All right, so it's a 6.2-mile swim followed by a 264-mile bike ride, capping it all off with a 52-mile run. It's spread over three days. So day one is the 6.2-mile swim and then a 93-mile bike ride. Day two is a 171-mile bike ride. And then day three is when you run that double marathon, the 52 miles. So pretty wild. Awesome conversation. Crazy how like cavalier Leanda is about her fitness level. Uh, I mean, she just kind of winged this thing. You know, she's working out a lot for work. She's a coach and she trains a lot of high profile people. So naturally for work, she's spending time running, biking, swimming. So she's got a high fitness level, but to be able to just go wing an Ultraman is something I still really can't wrap my head around, but it was awesome. Uh, just having this conversation and even listening back to it, I felt like I was there with her when she described some of the scenery in Canada where she was. It just sounded like a beautiful event and uh, made me want to do it that much more. So anyways, without any further ado, let's get into it. 
please enjoy my conversation with Leanda Cave. Where do you feel like you fall on that spectrum? Like more data-driven, more love of the sport? I, I like data, but I think I use data for more of like a reference for fitness as opposed to like looking at my numbers and all that stuff in, in a lot of detail. Um, I, I do like to feel more, um, I'm, I'm more of like a feely athlete. I like to feel um, my training out. And on days where I feel really good, I like to kind of knock a little bit more out of my training. And then days I don't, I like to just like, you know, dial it back and, and use it for recovery. Um, and I'm also, um, I mean, I've been doing this so long, right? <laughs> well, that's another thing is, were you always that way? Like you were no, more okay. on the field side? Okay. All right, all right. Yeah. And that's why I was kind of like saying, I've been doing this too long to kind of be so fixated on numbers and figures. <laughs> I mean, when I was racing at the end of the day, it was, it was my living. I was doing it for work. I was yeah. doing it to, um, to put food on the table and things like that. So I needed a win. So I wasn't, numbers didn't mean a lot. What meant a lot was like getting over the finish line first. And that would mean I'd get a good paycheck, right? So even though like I could have great numbers or bad numbers, I had to like execute on race day. And to execute on race day, you, it, sometimes numbers don't mean a whole lot. You have to like step up to the plate. You have to be able to um, to control like your your anxiety, um, you have to be able to kind of be confident enough to, to perform under pressure. Um, and you also have to be, um, able to accept that you got to push yourself beyond sometimes what you think you can do to be able to, to win a race. And that's like almost taking a risk. And honestly, most risks don't always like pay off, um, yeah. But with triathlon, if you want to like really for me as an as a professional, like I had to take risks and um and you know, nine times out of ten it didn't always work, but like when it did, it was it was a big, big achievement, you know. Yeah. But, and um, I'm racing other people. I can't predict what they're gonna do. I can't predict like or know everything about their training and what their data is to even know that I'm gonna be like anywhere near them in a race, but I know like on the mental side, like I have to like be, be much stronger and be able to kind of endure a lot more and also be confident enough and not, and not, um, underestimate my own personal ability. Yeah. I can't wait to dive into the Ultraman, uh, race, which I agree with your Instagram post that they probably need to just change it to ultra woman since the first three finishers <laughs> were Look, ultra I, I am a bit of a feminist, but I'm not yeah. saying that it needs to be called ultra woman. I think there yeah. could be a category where we have ultra men and we have ultra women. Like uh, I men and I women would also be, you know, a nice way to do things other than just like, you know, reference um, just the man. And and I do feel like, yeah, I mean, we, we had some very interesting results from the women in this particular race. So, you know, if we had a ultra woman category that would be kind of um nice <laughs> yeah i don't know where it was i think it was um i don't know if you ever listened to rich roll his podcast at all have, do you um not recently i i i, I listened to a variety i've listened to a few of his yeah so i think it was on his uh episode with a woman named leah goldstein are you familiar with her no Oh my gosh. So do you know the Ram race across America? Okay. Yeah. Race? Yep. So she won it last year. I'm pretty sure it was 2021. I think she, or 2020 maybe, but she won it, but she won it outright. And oh, she wow. was the first 
female in like the 39 years the race has been around to win it outright. Um, and so her and Rich were kind of diving into everything. And I guess she's done some studies or they were aware of some studies that after, at least as it pertains to like ultra marathons, once you surpass 75 miles into at least a foot race, this is what the studies have shown. I would love to see it in cycling and triathlon and everything else, but at least 75 miles on a foot race. Once you surpass that, like physical ability doesn't necessarily matter anymore because it's, it's like mostly a mental game at that point. And what, and so these studies have shown that past 75 miles, it's like any human being that wants to take the win to take the cup has the ability to do so. There's no more like advantage, you know, between genders anymore at that point, which I thought was super interesting and also just makes it exciting too, you know, like a total level playing field. Yeah. I like that. I mean, that's, I think that, I can't because this is my first like ultra distance thing, but I can't, so I yeah. can't like put my own like um, kind of judgment or like theory on that. But um, but it, what it is interesting how um, like you said, it becomes like almost a level playing field. I I want to say when I was out there racing the ultraman, I didn't even like distinguish between male or female. We were we it was kind of like we were all like just out there, yeah, yeah, as just human beings, right? Yeah. Um. So and that's what that was kind of like fun and and then at the end to just it, yeah, to be it's such a um categorical difference like males versus females or <laughs> yeah, it kind of like makes me feel like we having a category on our own is is yeah kind of maybe something a step for the future but um but yeah i feel like at the end of the day just like maybe ma- males versus females um it should maybe just be the uh, ultra person or you know one yeah event, well so. for western states 100 i don't know if yeah. you kept up with that but a female just won that outright i think for the first time ever this year just Amazing. a couple months ago yeah so to your point maybe yeah. at some point it will just be human ultra yeah. human, iron human whatever it is but yeah yeah. And again, like I, 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 I'm not a super feminist, but I, I have to say, like anytime like people reference like some outstanding performance or achievement or whatever, they they already already assume that it's going to be a male. Um, but I think now, like especially with um, you know these two big achievements, the ra- race across America and the Western States, both won outright by females, and then also this Ultraman, and who knows, Ultraman World Champs coming up, we'll see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe like people would kind of have a little different of an idea of like, oh, you know, women are kind of kicking us. Totally. This, like kind of very, uh, very, again, like endurance events versus like strong muscular events, but a, a, a sport that's kind of, um, I want to say, been mostly dominated by male athletes in yeah. the past. It's cool to see things being shaken up. And I think that's like, that's one of the things that draws me to the sport that it's open to anybody that has the wherewithal and the tenacity to go for it period. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes money it's, it's a little expensive getting into some of these things. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I mean, I'll um, get into that, but Ultraman was, it was a a high price tag to, to enter this race. And since retiring, I mean, I don't have sponsors. I'm self-funding everything. And yeah. And I actually entered the beginning of last year, um, my fiance is like, oh, wouldn't it be great if you did like an Ultraman and did the world champs and got a fifth world title? And I was like, damn it, 
you know, planted that seed. And I was All like, right, so oh, that's where it came from. I was that's curious. That's where it came from, okay, right? Okay, okay. And then, you know, I started, I'm like, didn't really know a lot about Ultraman. I knew some athletes who have done it, like former pros as well. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking into it and then I entered and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is like so much money uh, because it's not just the entry fee. It's like flying yourself and then you need a crew and then accommodate. And there's a lot of things, right? And I kind of just hacked it all together last minute mm-hmm. um but yeah the the world champs um was coming up in november and that was the one thing which was really hard for me to like pull the trigger on because because of literally that that issue like the expense right yeah and i man already like you probably know or 70.3 is like five six seven eight hundred dollars for an entry fee we're kind of like a little sticker shocked with that um but $2,000 for a race entry. I mean, <laughs> I I was sat there for two days and I couldn't press buy the buy button. <laughs> right, on the entry right, right, right. Because it's just like gave me anxiety. Um, totally. Well, how many of there were you guys? Because it looked like a, like couldn't have been more than 20 or 30, right? No, you're right. It was only a field of 22 and 16 okay. finishes in the end. Wow. Yeah. Right. And the, the world championships, they only take 40. I just... I just received my confirmation that they accepted me because it's like, oh, congrats. you don't just like get in. They ha- You kind of have to like do a race, apply, and then they'll be like, okay, this one's a good fit for us. And all it's right. not all about performance. It's about kind of like they want to make sure they have the right mix of athletes there. And um, so they accepted that, um, my entry. And that was just yesterday I had that email. Um, That's exciting. Then, yeah, it's exciting. And and honestly, like I said, the expense is a lot and I couldn't do it just like on my own dime. So I did decide to um, to do it to fundraise and then also uh, bring in a, a charity to fundraise for them at the same time. So um, I'm actually racing now for charity. So you'll you can watch this space. I've already got a GoFundMe page, which I'll share um, yeah. once. I, but um, sorry. What's the charity? Oh, it's the Sylvester Cancer Research Institute. It's in Miami. Okay. Um, and the reason I chose that one, um, because I, I've, I've become really good friends with one of the um, head cancer research doctors in that um, university program, the Sylvester um, Cancer Research Institute. And um, I've been training him for a few years. And like, you just know when there's like, he's just such a good person and what he does is so important. And he tells me what he does with his research and how hard he works. And like, I really feel like this is money that's going to be put in a really good place Mm. um, because I'm very close to the cause. And so it's not just like a cause. I kind of just picked out of thin air. It's, it's a very good, it's a very important cause to me. I think it's a very um, important cause to a lot of people I know he's helped um, a number of my friends um, who've actually had cancer um, who need a doctor for cancer. So he's like, just been like a kind of just an angel. And so I really felt like this is um, a charity I want to support. And, um, and I think a lot of people are going to get behind this. So good. And what's the goal? Fundraising. It's unlimited, honestly. Okay. I don't want to say I only want to uh, like raise this much money and then people will stop taking interest. I think um, at the end of the day, the cause is bigger than um, than any amount of money I could raise. So um, I want to put I don't want to put a limit on it. Um, the GoFundMe page actually requires just you know what your goal is, but 
um, I've just made it clear in my um, statement that I, there is no financial goal here. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah. Excited to check it out. All right. So for the people that don't know, an Ultraman, can, can you walk us through what it consists of? Okay. So day it's a three-day triathlon. It's a little longer than a double Ironman. Initially, I was like, thinking it was just a double Ironman. It's actually longer. So the swim is 6.2 miles. So in an, in an Ironman, um, the swim is actually 2.4. Um, and so a double would be 4.8. So this is <laughs> quite a bit longer, the swim. Yeah. Um, and then the swim is followed by a 90-mile bike ride. Um, so that's all on day one. Um, and the Ultraman I did in Canada, I finished day one, I think, in seven hours and 50 minutes. Your swim split blew my mind. It blew but- my mind. I never swam that far <laughs> in my life. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe that your pace was 130 for 100 yards for three hours or just under three hours, right? Yeah, two hours, like 41, I think it was. Oh, yeah. my God. I mean, I know you're like a former pro. Still, it just like I couldn't believe that someone would hang on to 130 for that whole time. That's nuts. Um so that yeah, was awesome. So I, that was day I one. Was yeah, yeah, day one. And the, the bike afterwards, like I said, I'd never swum that far. So the bike afterwards hurt a lot because my shoulders are so sore. And um, most people out here are not going to believe this, but I actually borrowed um, my friend's bike because I didn't have a TT bike. Okay. I still don't. I'm working on it um, <laughs> for, the, for the world. But um, the, the bike afterwards was pretty brutal. And I think we climbed like three or 4,000 feet, 90 miles. So it was it was a tough one. Um, and then day two was a 170 mile bike ride. Yeah. Now that was way harder than I thought it was going to be. How come? And I don't know if it's because like, I mean, I can ride a hundred miles. No problem. I just, it was like, it just got to a point where I was just mentally done with it. Right. Like mm. I'd after, and it was tough in the race. It was headwind. There was, it was getting hot. It started going uphill. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is never ending, you know? And I'd, at that point I'd already been riding for like six hours. And I, and I just got to a point where I'm, my head just couldn't get around the fact that I'd had, I was stopped at 110 miles. I had another like 60 miles to go. And I was just like, this is, this is insane. You know? And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm yeah. at this point, like, I just needed to have a little mental pause during the race. I just needed to stop for a minute and just say, okay, I need to reset. I need to eat, drink, and get my head around just 60 miles to go. So when you do that, like, is there anything that you tell yourself to help you like stay positive or come through that? Or or is it more of like a pre-decision? Like, I, like there's no thought to be had because you just chose that you were going to finish it before you even started it. Like what's your process? I would say the process is more little, little like the goals along the way. And I was always going to finish. It's just like how I broke it up to get to the finish line. Right. And so it started out and I was having a lot of fun in the beginning. And then after like maybe 60 or 70 miles, you know, things started to like not feel so good. And then I was just in the end, and and this is something I'll use moving forward, but just like I didn't realize I would need a mental strategy for this to Hmm. get through the race. And so I was kind of doing it on the fly, but during the the 170 miles, I just started breaking it down in 10-mile chunks. Okay. And I was just like mentally breaking it down. Okay, another 10 miles and then another 10 miles. And 
And that way helped just kind of tick things off and keep it um, positive and get to the finish line as opposed to just like, you know, saying to myself, just you can do it, you can do it. I just, I needed little goals along the way. Yeah, chunking it down. When you said you hadn't thought much about uh, developing a mental strategy coming into it, are you talking about just for the bike or you mean for the Ultraman as a whole? (laughs) For the whole thing. (laughs) Okay. It (laughs) was that... Okay. Yeah. I never really put a lot of thought into how long each day was going to take. And day two was very rough. I finished the bike in not a great shape. Um, I did well, but not amazing. Um, and I, I mean, like after I got off the bike, I could barely walk and I'm like having to pull myself up on the the stair rails um, at the hotel to get up. And I was just like in my head, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to be running 52 miles tomorrow. How am I going to do that? And then I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, that's just going to take forever. It's just like this this idea of being out there for so long. And I have never really up until the, like that point thought about it in that sense it's like it's not so much the it's like the time you're out there and mm. just being in a place mentally where you can just dial it in and just stay in this like kind of neutral area mentally not being too high not being too low and just like pushing forward and um and again like i i, I had to do it on the fly even on the run surprisingly um the 52 mile run by the way that's the the last day the third day um i just had to like say how am i going to break this up in a way that can keep me in a positive state of mind and i found just ticking off every six miles on my watch and one hour like trying to stay within this six mile range for every hour on the run helped me like keep pushing forward mentally and um and break it down because in the end the, the run was like over eight hours and you tell me if you anyone told me are oh, you going out for an eight hour run tomorrow I, I i would have said there's no chance right <laughs> yeah so yeah. just having like this little this ability just to keep breaking things down just get through this hour just get through this six miles and then, you know and those little things that helped a lot so were you, when you went into it, were it, cause obviously you're no stranger to the Ironman. Um, you've won it outright before in 2012, uh, world champ. So yeah, super familiar with that. Were you planning on just kind of like leaning on your physical ability going into this? Is that why you hadn't thought much about the mental strategy? Like, I don't know if I really need this, like I'm going to be fine. Was that, or like, what was that? Yeah. I just have never been at a point in a race where I've felt like it's too long okay. and this, this felt too long okay okay and so that's kind of where I wouldn't say I was relying on anything from my past I think I had a lot of like underlying fitness just because I've been this endurance athlete for well over 20 years now um, that I could use which I guess a lot of the like the competition did not have like this in-depth physical experience if you like Um, but yeah I would say for me like I'd never done anything which felt like this long Mm. 
But that's what that yeah, I love that. I mean, you've you've done all these Ironmans and all these other crazy races, and this is the first time that you try to tackle something that you felt like was too long. So now that you're a couple of weeks removed from it, what do you think? Like, do you have it's an itch to long. do it again? Obviously you're doing it again in November, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Still too it's long. It's still too long, but I think, you know, now I know, um, what I'm in for and I can prepare a little bit better going into it for like, I can have like a mental strategy that I can use as opposed just to trying to wing it along the way and come up with the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and thankfully I have that experience, I guess, that I know how to play with my mind in a way to keep me moving in a good direction. Um, but yeah, I have that and I don't, I still think it's really long. Um, 52 miles running again, like swimming, biking, whatever. I, I feel like you, that to me is not the hard part. The 52 mile run is just like crazy. <laughs> Yeah. And so I, I saw on one of like the peakers videos that because you had had a couple issues coming off of injury, I think, yeah, um, you hadn't run longer than freaking 16 miles before the 52. Like, were you, did that cause an ex- I, in my mind, like for me, that would be an added layer of anxiety, like getting ready. Like what's going to yeah. happen? Am I going to get injured? Like, yeah, 16 I- miles to 52. I think at the end of the day, yes, that did concern me a lot. I did a lot of hiking here in Colorado when we arrived um, early July. Um, and most of that was where I was really pushing the downhill because I the, the problem I find with running long distances, not so much the distance itself, but like the, the impact it has on your legs. So, um, for example, like the marathon, most people would say their quads just start cramping up and hurting and their calves and things like that. And I have found like running downhill or um, and getting that eccentric load or your legs familiar with that eccentric load replicates what that feels like at the back end of a marathon. Hmm. And I was just hoping what I did here hiking would be enough to um, also simulate that. And it yeah. did. Um, okay. I, I mean, I hiked a lot and I did every time once I got to a top of a mountain, I would just really push the downhill. And first few times, oh my gosh, I couldn't even like get up the next morning and walk around without hobbling. Um, but then the second week in, my legs had made that adaptation and they felt really good. And yeah, the 16 mile long run, um, my longest run leading into this, um, kind of always stayed in the back of my mind going, oh boy, like I, this is either going to go really good or really bad. Yeah. But I had always the option to walk, right? It wasn't like I was just going to like force myself through a 52 mile through all pain and hell just to get there. I, I ended up running the whole thing, which kind of still blows my mind. I don't, I'm not really quite entirely sure how I did that, but yeah. um, I, I feel like the preparation wasn't ideal but I had to kind of, you know, morph it into something that would work for the event that I was training for. So like what I'm hearing just, you know, through this conversation is like the training wasn't quite there. There were a few things that were maybe lacking part of it. You were kind of winging it. You hadn't done something like this before, but it sounds to me like you were 100%. And I would be curious to hear your perspective on percentage 
it sounds to me like you're 100% confident that no matter what you were going to finish the race. Yeah. What, what, what would you say your level of confidence was that going into the race percentage wise? Yeah, I was a hundred percent confident. Okay. So I'm, yeah, (laughs) well, I'm curious about that because I, I saw another video of you talking about the year that you won the Ironman world champ. You said you weren't even that confident going into that race. Maybe confident about winning. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a confident um, athlete in general. Um, I've also done things in, in, not even training, just for fun, like which, um, which gave me like the knowledge that, that my body was able to do something like this. Um, so, for example, in 2020, I. Of very little training again, I ran the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim. Okay. Something like 40 miles, but 11,000 feet of elevation gain and loss. Yeah. So you go down, you go up, you go down, you go up. And I finished that in 14 and something hours. Again, didn't feel as long as this Ultraman because <laughs> yeah. I was, I had a friend with me. It was like very beautiful scenery, the terrain, it was all very different. And, and I felt like that gave me this kind of sense that. I could get through this run and possibly walk. I walked some of this Grand Canyon um, run and this was totally just for fun. My friend and I just thought it'd be a good idea. Um, yeah. You probably don't want me as a friend because <laughs> you get roped <laughs> into. And then um, the second thing I did that year was a 220 mile bike ride. Not uh, not off a ton of training. It came in the the, the late spring. So um, it was maybe early summer, but it, it wasn't something I'd gone out and done a ton of training for. So physically I was like, yeah, I could do the bike and the swim. It was a wetsuit swim. I hadn't done a ton of swimming to prepare for this, but it is probably one of my stronger, um, legs. And I, I know just once you hit, like a, I get to a certain pace, I'm like, I can just stay there for a long time. So the swimming didn't really like concern me much at all either. So, yeah, I, I knew I would get through it. I just didn't know, like, in what sort of shape I would be in. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Okay, so you're 100% confident about completing it. How about competing in it? Because you came in second. Like, was that on your mind at all going into the race? No, I was never going in thinking that I was going to be racing. Okay. And trying to win it. Um, I knew that I was probably, if anything, underprepared for this in many ways, not just physically, um, just because of time restraints and and things that I had going on, which didn't like, for example, like the, the injury, I just, it just didn't enable me to get what I wanted to do in to even think about being competitive because in my, in the past when I've been competitive, I mean, you know, the training is dialed in. Yeah. And this was kind of loosely patched together with like workouts I'm doing with clients and, you know, getting yeah. this in that in when I can. And so I wasn't really thinking that um, I was in a, in a place physically where I could compete to win. Now, what, how it ended up was um, a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, I thought I was in pretty good shape. I thought I could have been in way better shape had I come in with the right training but I wasn't 
gifted that opportunity at the time. So I was just was not really expecting much from myself, which is sometimes the fun part when you don't have those expectations and you 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 just go in and enjoying it. And sometimes that has a better outcome. And I yeah. think that might have had something to do with like having a good race on the day. Well, three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So the whole fifth world title thing was more your fiance's idea. Like you, you, you were intrigued by that initially, but you really just kind of went into it like for fun, right. To, to accomplish something great like this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the, the truth is I couldn't go the world champs in Hawaii without doing one of these beforehand. That's just their rules. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I had to do this. So in the end it was just like, let me just do one to see what, what it's like and, and see if I can get to the world champs. Yeah. And after doing one, ah, it took a good week. I had to marinate in what I just did and kind of just settle down and just really feel like, is it something I can do? And is it something that I want to do? Um, and after a few days, like my body was feeling pretty recovered, actually pretty fast considering what I'd just done. Mm-hmm. I, I started to toy with the idea a little bit and just kind of started to get an understanding of what, what it would take and, and how I, I need a roadmap to how it was going to happen. Because like I said, financially, it's not something that I can just say, click my fingers and come up with like the money to do it. But also physically, I have to step up to the plate and start training well for this. And is that in my wheelhouse? And right now, um, you know, I pulled the trigger and I entered because I think I can, I can do both of those things. I can train well for this. And I can come up with the the money financially through um, raising money for charity to um, to get myself there and my my crew. Yep. Okay. Got it. All right. Well, then let's talk about like I'm curious about a little bit more of the nitty gritty too in terms of training, fueling, and then recovery on like the two nights during the three day session. So, for like, what what did you do training? Like, how much time did you commit to training just for this? Basically, outside of your coaching um outside of my coaching not a lot (laughs) okay (laughs) I want to say um I I was coaching athletes and probably about 10 to 12 hours a week in the in the shape of like um cycling running and a little bit of swimming Mm -hmm. physically training and then the training I would do myself would be maybe about another four four to six hours on top of that um that was allocated mostly to to running until I got this injury and then I kind of pivoted and went a little bit more heavy on the swimming side um because I was already doing a ton of cycling so that's kind of where the training would lay I would say my average week was um in in the peak before injury was um 9,000 yard swimming um, 200 to 250 miles of biking and 50 miles of running per week. You said per week. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Pretty solid. And then fuel, what do you use when you're I use everything? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, we, and which was handy because just this year, like we started working with the feed and they've, they've been great. They've been like sending stuff, um, because I, I don't stick to one, nutrition product um i i love training with like for example on the bike like i like eating cliff bars and 
Um, and then on the run, I'll have all sorts of gels from like goo to SIS. Mm-hmm. Um, in my water bottles, I'll have anything from like um, from uh, scratch slabs to just Gatorade powder. I mean, I'm, yeah. I kind of mix and match a lot. Um, but I also um, found like, especially during the race, I, I needed and wanted other things, right? I Everything I just mentioned to you right now is all sweet stuff, right? And I I knew at some point in this race, I was going to need something different. And so I prepared myself this little goodie bag of things that I think I would crave. Yeah. And like potato chips and salami sticks and i tell you at one point with that point on the bike on the second day when i was just like i need a minute i just need to stop i was just i need chips i just had to have potato chips i was just craving and i was just like shoving them in my mouth and it was like the the best thing ever and then on the run the next day um i was eating the salami sticks like every other mile i was eating a salami stick and it tasted so good um and so that was kind of the nutrition side. Um, and by the way, like I need to, to sh- give a shout out to my crew because they were, <laughs> they were so great. I had like all of them, like one's got like in one hand, they've got like Coke and then the other hand, they might have a bag of chips and then someone else has gels. And then the other one's got a Gatorade and the other one's got cold water. And it's, like, <laughs> it's just like, and it's kind of like every, it was like every time I would see them, it was like a, a buffet of all this stuff I yeah. could imagine. And you're right? just this just, all-consuming machine. Yeah, just like and I just like rolling. I just yeah. pull out what I want, and yeah, yeah, it's all there. So yeah, my my crew was amazing, and um, that was like a big part of the race too, which you know we can continue talking about in a bit if you like. Was that more? Were you operating more on feel for that? Like, was your fueling plan different from the different for this than it was for previous Ironmans where like, maybe you would have been a little bit more disciplined with what you put in your body. So this was like, just have fun and get through it. Keep my mood neutral, essentially. Yeah, I knew I in part. Yes. In part. No. The yes part. I went in with like, I knew how many calories I would need and I was prepared with those calories in the form that I like, like I mentioned, like cliff bars and scratch lab and, and SIS gels, like those sorts of things. So I had all this like planned out for each day. Um, but you know, then things start changing and, and then I'm like, I can't have another, another SIS gel. I need something else. And, you know, they would hand me grapes and I would have two. I'm like, no, 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 I need something different. And then I get them, bottle of coke and i was like oh that's good so i chugged a bottle of coke yeah that's that's kind of like the sometimes it's even in in an iron man like when you when your own nutrition strategy doesn't quite pan out or it's not going as well as you want or you do need to if we do start feeling like you need something else um that's when you do start taking a lot more from the race course and in particular, in the end um, of an Ironman, that the, the last part of a marathon. I mean, at that point, you're you're trying to stay in a place mentally where you can keep feel feeding the brain as well as the body, and that's when I start like in the Ironman, I started taking like Red Bull or um, the Coke off the course and all those things. I would start having gels that had like way too much caffeine, but just stuff to like keep your mental. Um, and 
the energy level high mentally, mm-hmm. not always so much physically. It's like it's not always the body that's tired. It's sometimes just the head. So you just keep that going and it keeps fueling your way to the finish line. So it was similar to this race in that, you know, I just had to keep myself going mentally. Yeah. Whatever you had to do to make yeah. it happen. Um, how about heart rate zones? Were, were like, was it a thing where like you had built up the training to just stay kind of in a zone two the whole time, except for, you know, times when it would spike or whatever. Yeah. Zone okay. two was zone two is my, my favorite place to be as a retired athlete. And mm-hmm. that's where I wanted to be in this race. Yeah. And that zone two, I mean, I would say I pushed up a little bit higher in the run, um, mostly because the first 20 or so miles was uphill. But for me, I just, my, and I say this to my athletes I train as well, sometimes you've got to feel what that pace is. And and if you're in your head and you're saying, this is hard, well, this is, I'm, I'm feeling like this is a bit too, um, too much of an effort then it probably is. Mm. And so for me, what I really had to keep like reminding myself, I just need to feel like this is a pace I can do all day. This has to feel easy. Okay. And that's kind of what I did feel for the most part. And then the hard stuff, what feels hard is not the pace. It's like the aches and pains you get from being doing this or just being out there for so long and and having that repetitive exercise going over and over and over for so many hours, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I get that. I'm, I'm so quick aside to ask about the times where you're really pushing the Ironman as a pro, because as like a recreational Ironman athlete, I'm hanging around zone two, maybe zone three, whatever, most of the day to get through it. Um, but as a pro, are you are you, are you racing also like in a high zone too? Like do pros basically like you're, you're so good and so dialed into the point where it's like whoever has the best zone two wins, or are you racing most of the Ironman in like a four, maybe even a five at some points. And it's like, just all out as as hard as you can go. I have Um, no idea. I'm a genuine. That's a very interesting question because I think we're seeing a lot more, like you look at the Norwegians, um, and their training method, which I think Lionel Sanders has also got the same coach now, they're they're so conditioned that their zone two is so much faster than everyone else's. Okay. And they will sit and train in this zone two, but they're so um, strong in that zone that they're superior than their competition in that zone. So they can operate much faster with having a a much lower effort than a lot of their competition. Uh, Now, in terms of racing, um, it all comes down to, I guess, you know, sports science really, right? We can only operate in a certain zone to buffer the lactic acid that enables us to keep pushing at that level or that speed. And so if we're operating in like a higher zone, like zone four or five, the body breaks down and then we need to slow down a lot. And that's, you know, when you, your body starts um, cramping and things like that and um, you can't recover. So what I would say in like, especially for the Ironman, you get very good at operating in that zone two, zone three, and you get very good at like that pace and that pace becomes very strong and efficient. And, um, and that's, 
the best of like it's almost like the the fastest athletes in Ironman are probably also the fastest athletes at racing in zone three. Okay. Yeah. Like that's something I've wondered about. Cause I didn't know about that whole, um, what you were just, what did you say? The lactic lactic acid. Okay. So lactic acid I'm familiar with, but wasn't sure like how that works in, pert- in pertaining to zones. So, cause I've seen, you know, when I, when I see these pros finish in the crazy times that they do eight ish nine at whatever hours, um, I'm wondering like, have they conditioned their bodies to be able to just stay in zone four that long? So you're saying it's more like they're just, their zone two is so efficient. They're so fast in zone two. Yeah. And, and, and I would say they fun. race, they don't race zone two. They would probably race more zone three and obviously hit in zone four. I mean, there's no, there's not often a time when a pro wouldn't hit zone four and like a, a climb on the bike or a hill on the run, or, you know, when they're, um, they're trying to make a pass or things like that, um, but they'll come back down, bring their heart rate down, bring their lactic acid levels back down in their blood, and that keeps them moving in a, in a um, more of an aerobic capacity place as opposed to anaerobic. Okay. Are you into any of these new continuous glucose monitors to be able to look at that stuff in real time? Or are you not? So I, I did. I was actually um, one of the first few people to be testing the Super Sapiens. Okay. I've heard of them. Yeah. yeah. And um what I found super interesting, first of all, the whole science behind it is great. I love um, learning about that. Um, but what was super interesting for me is how much of that for me was intuitive because we didn't have that um, that science when I was racing and training. Um, and so it was so interesting learning that what I my blood was showing uh, in terms of blood glucose was a direct correlation to how I was feeling mentally or certain things physically. And I was always reactive to those mental and physical cues as it was. Not a lot of people are, but again, that comes with like experience. Um, And so for me, it was like, ah, now I can like put those two things together and know why. Right. Interesting. As, As opposed to before, it was just like, oh, this is happening and I have to react this way, but there was never a why. Okay. So you would, but you would almost be able to have a sense prior to this science, like, but okay. You wouldn't have known that it was tied to what was going on inside of your blood, but like you could tell something was different inside of your body and you had to adapt on the fly. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That stuff is super fascinating. It's not even fully available yet. Right. Aren't they still testing at least in the U S yeah, in the US, you can kind of get around it by ordering like the blood glucose monitor and downloading the super certain app that you have to get a prescription from a doctor to get the, the glucose monitor, which I have one of my athletes um, doing that. Okay. And, um, and honestly, for, for what it's worth, I, I thought it was super useful and important to get a picture, right? Like to get an understanding um, and to start seeing it in real time and see how food um kind of impacts like your energy and your 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 blood glucose and like what foods were spiking the blood glucose versus others keeping a little bit more stable and things like that um and so then after you kind of get this understanding of how your body is and like how much you need and um you know though like i mentioned those those mental and physical cues like oh that ties into this so it's clear like when i have this i you know i need to have more um fuel and when 
um, I kind of figured it out, right? And I think to have something like this on all the time, it, it's not necessary. I think what's really important, getting to use it, getting to understand like how your body's functioning, how um, glucose is interacting with how your body feels, um, seeing those spikes and troughs and seeing that around recovery as well as activity and just like getting a um, like getting more of like a, um, a holistic picture about how you operate because all this is individual and then using that to go forward and and stick to that kind of model that you kind of figure out based on this data. Yeah. Um, I think, like I said, I'm not a super data person. So once I figured that out and once I kind of got this idea, I was like, I, I, I'm, I don't necessarily think I need to have something like this on all the time. Makes sense. So, but did, uh, did whatever information that you gleaned from using it during that trial, I'm assuming that was pre Ultraman since the Ultraman just happened. Like, yeah. did it impact how you planned for fueling differently, how you would have back in the day for Ironman's like, yeah, I would say I, I was, probably under caloried if anything in most of my races and training okay training i still like i don't know i can come home and gorge on like a huge bowl of pasta whatever yeah um, but in racing you don't have that so for me i was just like i need to keep the fuel high i need to keep the glucose levels up you know around the 100 110 mark and that's kind of where i'd sit at and i'm sure it went down and fluctuated up and down but i feel for me it was like I felt very steady mm, and I good. didn't have this onset of like what typically I would notice as being um, a lower level of blood glucose. Yeah. Interesting. How many, I'm like, just curious, how many carbs an hour were you taking in? Well, I was pretty more specific. I was looking more specifically at calories. Okay. And I was probably getting in around three to three fifty an hour. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which is on the high side. When you're racing and, and, and again, you, you can do that when you have a lower heart rate, when you're operating at a higher heart rate, like your body struggles to metabolize 250 calories an hour. So I found like with not going as hard and feeling more comfortable, like I could hit that higher um, caloric intake and, and still be able to, um, to digest and, and keep eating. Gosh, I can't believe the hour is almost up because now I have like all these other questions that I want to <laughs> ask you that like pertain mostly to this. Um, but uh, maybe we'll save those for another time. All right. Well, after the world champs. Yeah. After the world champs, maybe we'll jump back on. Um, all right. So I guess a couple of things I would love to just hear about real quick uh, recovery on the nights in between what you did. Cause I would love to one day do an Ultraman and I'm actually curious on what you did. Um, and then I want to hear if you had any, like, were there any geographical points in the race that like stood out to you as a memory that will be ingrained in you forever? Maybe like a point on the bike or a point in the run or something like that. So recovery. And then that, if you have one. So recovery, um, day one, um, I had a massage Okay. Probably the most painful massage I can remember <laughs> um, because the guy was like, you know, full of, loved his elbows. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think that was fine. I just needed him to iron out my kinks after that first swim bike day, and that worked mm -hmm. really well. And a light massage on the on the um, the legs. Second day, so Jenny, who's my crew, she had her parents with us, and her dad 
um, is a chiropractor. So he yeah. worked on my neck and that was amazing. And then I just did some rolling, mm. um, which it helped for sure. Um, I mean, it was, it was painful and it's hard to kind of, you know, what rolling is like, it actually takes some effort. Mm-hmm. It's the last thing I wanted to do, but I, I did a little bit of rolling and I think that helped a lot. Um, and on the third day, quite honestly, after the run, I didn't care what I did, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I did jump in a, um, a cold plunge. Okay. Um, and the next day I did go for a swim because I find hydrotherapy helps a lot just to loosen off. Um, so that's what I, I did in terms of recovery um, and, and eating like the biggest meals you can imagine. And I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't fussy. I was eating burgers and fries. Um, after both days because that's all I just wanted salty fatty you know and I knew I wanted something to give me some um, something in the tank for the following day Um, so that was essentially the recovery and then highlight points of like that I have in my mind I mean the swim I don't know if you saw any of the footage the lake is like was incredible it was like beautiful yeah like overlooked by vineyards I mean Penticton, it's like kind of this unknown place. It's like the Tuscany to me of the of North America. I like it better than Napa and Sonoma. I think it's um it's really really beautiful. Um and that kind of the lake, I just remember like taking a breath and like just really looking around and taking it all in. It was stunning. Um and then the bike. There was one point where we'd been climbing quite high, and then we came out and came up and it was still a climb but like more of one of those gentle climbs it was kind of being out in the you know the french alps somewhere it was just so pretty and then yeah. we descended down into these lakes and it was yeah i i was i'm actually <laughs> known for just being a bit of a tourist when i'm when i'm racing i i look around a lot oh cool and i take all these things in because i think for me sometimes it helps just to dumb the the pain a little bit and it and I and I'm a visual, very very visual person, so I do like to look around. Um, so that was the bike. I I had these like beautiful vistas that I got to see, and so beautiful. We were riding through vineyards. I mean, it was kind of amazing. And then the run, the same thing. We'd been climbing up this road for, like I said, the first twenty or so miles was uh, uphill, and it was on this you know bitumen road or asphalt, you say over here. Um, and then we got to the top and it turned into this lake. Like there's this just beautiful, stunning lake and we're out in the middle of nowhere and it's just, it was so beautiful. And then we got onto this dirt road and, and then you just feel like so consumed by nature. And I felt like that the whole way. I just felt like we were just racing in, in nature. Um, yeah. So that was, yeah, I think for me, it, it, it was and then I have my crew, which was always awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that. I think that's like, that's one of my favorite things about some of these events that I've done is like, there are specific points like on the map, on the course that I'll, like, I'll remember this one view and how I felt when looking at that view, you know? And like, yeah. that's one of the things that stays with me after some of these endurance events and was curious of, you know, what it was for you, but I feel like I got a good picture, like being on that, that bike ride coming up, um, descending in towards the lakes also seems like a way better course than probably Florida, you know, like no offense to Florida. (laughs) I I live in Florida a lot of the year and I, I train there a lot of the year and it's, it's, 
path the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I wanted to be somewhere beautiful. I wanted to be somewhere where I knew it would be a little bit cooler just because that helps physically with the um with you know getting through a race of this um this length. Mm-hmm. Um and I knew that area because I had raced there before. Um and so I felt like this was a that was a good option for me. Um I could have done Florida. It would have been logistically a lot easier, but um, I felt like I picked the race, which I think would worked best for me. Yeah, seems like it did. Uh, and congrats again on Thanks. on getting second. All right, so for people listening that either want to follow the journey and see how you do at the World Championships, or maybe people that happen to live in your neck of the woods in Miami and might want to hit you up for coaching, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way? They can go to my website, which is um, clubleandercave.com. They can hit me up on Instagram. Um, I'm pretty responsive, as you know, because this is yeah. how we connected yeah. um, on Instagram. Um, and, yeah, those are pretty much the main ways. There's, if you if you want to use the contact um, button on my website, um, I get that through to my email. So I would probably reply to you in an email if I see any contact come through that. And and if you guys want to follow the race at Worlds, the World Ultraman Championships and follow my journey getting there, um, I'll be, you know, periodically posting things um, on Instagram as well. Yeah. Um, and if anyone wants to know more about the GoFundMe, um, I'll be also putting that information out there on uh, on Instagram. Okay. And we'll put the GoFundMe in the link for this too, but uh, wishing you success at the race and for fundraising for the awesome cause. And thanks so much just for being willing to share, share the story of the Ultraman. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. I truly hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you found the show valuable, I'd encourage you to rate or review us on whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast on. Each rating goes a long way and helps us to spread our message to more people looking to build up their endurance, people like you, people like me. And if you'd like more info on me or our charity endurance team, catch me on Instagram at it's Jake Savage or visit teamai.org. Until next time, keep pressing on.